Our Bible reading today is taken from Colossians, and we're going to read from verse 12 right through to verse 20. Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through to 20. And for those who are online, the words will come up on the screen. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether there be things in earth or things in heaven. We'll end the reading there at verse 20. And we pray that the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now this morning, as we continue in our series of expository sermons in the book of Colossians, my text today is found in Colossians chapter 1 verse 19. Look at it, it reads as follows, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness And my theme today I've entitled Understanding the Fullness of Christ for Fallen Sinners Now the Apostle Paul after offering prayer for this church at Colossae That has come under attack from false teaching And closing that prayer with a word of thanks for the wonderful things That the Lord has done for them through our Lord Jesus Christ And remember, this included being delivered from Satan's rule of darkness. This also meant being translated into the kingdom of his dear son. And the moment he mentions his dear son, he adds this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And then from verse 14 onward, he proceeds to set forth what I've called one of the most profound descriptions of the Lord Jesus Christ in his person and work found anywhere in the entire Bible. Now, in past weeks, we have been slowly, very slowly, maybe you felt too slowly, but I believed it was necessary to begin to open up this fundamental question, who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Now remember, there are many wrong answers to this question. And that's where you need discernment, you need understanding, you need spiritual enlightenment. You see, there are many wrong, false presentations as to who the Lord Jesus Christ is. 
And that was true in Paul's day, but it's also true in our day. And Paul wants us to realize, when we think of who the Lord Jesus Christ is, he is the image of God. The word image means icon, the exact representative or the exact representation of the very essence and the essential being of who God is. He added that he is the firstborn of every creature. And remember, the word firstborn has nothing to do with time, but it has to do with primacy. And then we discovered that Jesus Christ is not only the icon of God, but he's our creator. And he lays claims to us as creator and maker. He he, uh, controls all things. Paul adds this, for by him all things consistor all things held together he's the sustainer and the upholder and the provider of all things in the universe and from verse 17 we discovered he's not only preeminent over all creation for all things were created by him and for him and he is before all things we also discovered the preeminence of Christ as the head of the church and remember Paul is writing here with this aim to exalt and extol the Lord Jesus Christ Why? Because his personal work was under attack. As I've said, many don't know or understand who the Lord Jesus Christ really is. And all the devil and all the millions of hell are out to attack Christ. And isn't it true in our day that sadly there's a lot of Christless Christianity about? Churches are full. Some of them's not so full of good, moral, religious people. That's great. But sadly, they're devoid of a knowledge of Jesus Christ and devoid of a saving relationship to him. You see, false religions today, all the cults speak of Jesus Christ. They use his name. Now, what do they mean when they use his name? Are they saying what the Bible says about him? The answer is no. And the scripture says to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. And we could ask the question, well, out of the plethora of um, those who mention the name of Jesus, would the real Lord Jesus please stand up? Because many false Christs abound. And, and you see, Paul is giving us a portrait of the person and work of Christ. He wants us to discover the Lord Jesus is not an angel. He's not a, a created being. He's not just a unique and wonderful man. He's not just one way to heaven. Jesus Christ is the exact representative of God. He is the primate, the the one who has primacy over all creation. Why? Because he's the creator and maker of all things. He upholds the whole of the universe by the word of his power. In fact, he's before all things. He's the head of the church. He's the first begotten from the dead. He's the, the true source of life from the dead. And he stands preeminent. Why? Now look at verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And that's what we want to think about for the next 28 minutes or 25 minutes or so. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to think this morning. I want you to lend me your ears. Because what I want to have to say is very sublime, but also very simple if you have discernment to grasp it. So understanding the fullness of Christ for fallen sinners. I want you to think, first of all, of the meaning 
of this text. I want you to think of this phrase, that in him should all fullness dwell. You see, as I look at this text of Scripture, and I must confess something to you, it has probably baffled me for years. I've often wondered what it really meant. And I've only studied it really for the first time this week. And I began to see there's a meaning here negatively. In other words, what it doesn't mean. And then there's a meaning positively, what it does mean. So let's, let's think about the meaning in the text, right? What it doesn't mean. You see, loads of preachers, Bible commentators, look at 19. They ask themselves this question. What is this fullness? And here's how they answer. The fullness of essential deity. And I want to tell you, I believe they're absolutely and fundamentally wrong. It's nothing to do with the fullness of essential deity. Now, let me tell you why. I want you to notice the word father is in italics. So it's, it's correctly italicized in the authorized version. Other versions add the word God. I'm not so sure that they're correct. You see, Paul here is describing an act. An act of God's good pleasure or his sovereign will, namely the will of God the Father. And I want to tell you something today. The deity of the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't exist by the will of the Father. It doesn't exist as a choice made by the Father. You see, here's the idea that the Father's firstborn Son, the Lord Jesus, existed, and then somewhere in time, the Father attached essential deity to him. That this is something that happened at a point in time. There was a time when he didn't possess essential and eternal deity. And then there was a time he did. And that was given to him, attached to him by the Father. But I want to tell you, it's not a reference to the fullness of essential deity. And anybody that says it is, they're wrong. I'll go even further. I want to tell you, they're heretical. Because the divine essence dwells in Jesus Christ eternally. There was never a time when he didn't have the divine essence. It dwells in Jesus Christ unchangeably. The Lord Jesus Christ's essential deity always existed eternally. He always was and is essentially eternally the icon of God. You see, in the context, Paul has already dealt with the Fullness of Christ's essential and eternal essence in verse 15 when he added the words, who is the image of the invisible God. Now you see, those who say the fullness God was pleased to give Christ was the fullness of essential deity that he chose to communicate it to him, then we've got to ask the question, when did it happen? It either happened in eternity past 
or it had to happen in time. And you see, there's those who teach that the Lord Jesus was a male man, a mere man, and at his baptism at the age of 30, the true and essential deity of God was given to him. And he became the son of God at his baptism. But before that, he was only a human being. And it's important that you grasp this. Because there's so many false Jesuses out there. Every cult, every false religion has a view of who Jesus Christ is. And as part of their confession, oh, you believe in Jesus. That's wonderful. We also believe in Jesus, but I want to tell you, it's a false Christ. It's a, it's a Jesus of their own imagination. They teach that Jesus is a mere man. Or they teach he was a created being. Or teach that he was an angel. Or teach that he was a spirit being. Like God, but not God. And as a spirit being, then somewhere in eternity or in time, God chose to attach deity to him, the fullness of deity. And I say it again, and I want you to listen to me carefully. That is absolutely false. That is heretical. Because Jesus Christ always is and always was essential and eternally God. The second person of the Trinity. Remember this. God is not a Trinity because he chose to be a Trinity. You see, people think of God as one. As a single unit. A single entity. And then he decided then, I don't really want to be one. I'm going to morph into a trinity. And somehow he created the Son, and somehow he created the, the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you that's fundamentally wrong. God is a trinity. He always has been a trinity in unity. He always will be a trinity in unity. In the beginning, God. And the word is Elohim. And it's in the plural. And it's a trinity of persons that's in view. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Son was involved in that. And the Spirit was involved in that. As well as the Father. See, the God of the Bible can't be anything else but a trinity. And I want you to understand, grasp this today. This is not speaking of the fullness of essential deity. Jesus Christ has always been God's essential and eternal dear son. And it's wrong and heretical for any man or preacher to say that his essential and eternal deity is his because it pleased the Father. Because the Father gave it to him. I repeat, and I know I'm laboring the point, the Bible doesn't teach that. And it's important that you grasp that. It's important that you understand that and you've got to think it through biblically and you've got to think it through carefully. So what is it not? If you add in, it's not a reference to the fullness of essential deity. Okay? And I know that he mentions Colossians 2 and 9, for, it, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and we'll deal with that, and, that, and that's a different subject. That's not what Paul is dealing with in Colossians 1 verse 19. So there's it negatively. What, what does it mean? If it's not the essential fullness of deity, then what is it you're asking? Well, think of the context. What has he just told us about the Son? That in all things he might have the preeminence. He's preeminent in creation. He's preeminent in the church. Why? Look at verse 19, 4. Now that word for, it's a conjunction. 
And it could be translated, because. Here's the reason he's preeminent in creation. Here's the reason he's preeminent in the church. It's not because of his person, but he's preeminent in God's purpose and plan to provide salvation through him as far as the work of redemption and the work of reconciliation is concerned. That's the context. So it's not his essential, eternal fullness. It's God's communicative fullness, which the Father, in his gracious will, made over to his eternally incarnate Son to equip him from the great work of redemption. It's about the Father giving to the Son all the gifts, all the fullness that's necessary to complete the great work of eternal redemption. And God the Father, Paul is telling us, was pleased that in him all fullness would dwell. And fullness means here the sum total, the plenitude. And we can talk about the plenitude of Christ. It just means the fullness of Christ. Think of the word dwell here. It means to reside, to settle down. It speaks of a a permanent abode. And all fullness resides in Jesus Christ permanently for the work of redemption. So it's not a reference to the fullness of deity, but it's a reference to the fullness of God's saving grace and the provision of redemption and the work of reconciliation. All fullness then refers to that which is necessary for Christ to effect the great work of redemption. So it's not his essential, official fullness of deity that's in view. It's his essential and official fullness of saving grace and power for that essential work as the mediator of the new covenant. It is his fullness as the true and only legally constituted redeemer. And that's what's in view there. And I know that's a mouthful. I know that's theological language. I can't simplify it. I'm sorry any other way, but I trust that that will be helpful in opening up what that actually means. Remember Paul says in Acts 17 verse 31, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness, by that man whom hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he raised him from the dead. And it was Peter that preached this message in Acts chapter 2, and in the verse Uh, 36, listen again to these words. The day of Pentecost, Peter is preaching, and this is what he said of Christ. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom he hath crucified, both Lord and Christ. God the Father was pleased that all the saving grace and power would take up its permanent abode in him who is the God-man. And if you turn over there to John, John chapter 3, we read there in John 3 these words. In verse 33 and 4, He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. All the essential, official, communicative fullness of the grace and saving power of God was poured into Christ from all eternity. And that's the meaning. 
of this text. Notice, secondly and quickly, the measure in the text. The whole of the verse is really a a notion uh, deep, uh, full of truth, one that I can't plummet. We can only skim the surface. It speaks of being filled with all fullness. You, You think of a cup, and a cup is filled But this is more than a cup that's filled. This speaks of all fullness. It's filled and it's brimming over. Think of the little chorus children. My cup's full and running over. It's not some of the fullness. It's not a part of the fullness. It's not most of the fullness. It's all fullness. So so that's what is spoken of here. All fullness. That is a, a substantial comprehensive word. It stands in contrast to emptiness and to barrenness. Note the word all. It's a little word, isn't it? Three letters, A-L-L. But it's a great little word. What does it include? It includes everything. And as I've said, there's a wealth of truth here. Nothing that's lacking. There's nothing absent in the life, heart, and mind, and soul of the mediator when it comes to the fullness of that saving grace and power for the work of redemption. The Apostle Paul said, speaking of himself, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. You see, there's, there's no fullness in mankind. There's nothing but emptiness and barrenness and sinfulness. But in contrast, and here's a great comfort, Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. All fullness is found in him, a notion of fullness. Despite the vastness of our need, he possesses that ocean of fullness to meet that need. And as he meets that need, he's not diminished one iota. There's an immeasurable wealth of grace and glory found in Christ. Remember in John 1 verse 14, we read the words, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. The need of every sinner. There's all fullness in Christ. For the need of every saint. There's all fullness in Christ. If we go back to John and John 1 and verse 16. This is what he said. And of his fullness have all we received. And grace for grace. Now that's what is spoken of here. And where is it found? Notice the words in the text. That in him. You see, that's in the Redeemer. He alone was fully equipped for the great work of salvation. You see, it's exclusive to him. It's only in him. It can't be found anywhere else. It's all about Christ when he says that in him. If you link up the context, verse 13, his dear son. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God. 16, for by him were all things created. All things were created by him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things. By him all things consist. And he is the head of the body. And and that in all things, in verse 18, that he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. All fullness is his mediatorially. Where is it found? It's found alone exclusively in him. Why is it in him? Here's the reason. For it pleased the Father. Here's a reference to the Father. And it backs up to verse 12. 
whenever he said, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. The context is important. I believe that the translators of the authorized version were absolutely correct when they added the word in italics, the Father, because that makes the sense. But also it links us back to verse 12, giving us the contextual setting. It was God as Father took the initiative. It pleased him that all this fullness of saving grace and power would dwell exclusively in Christ. It's, it's a reference to that sovereign special work of the Father in the covenant of grace to give all things over to his Son. And notice the way. It says that in him should all fullness dwell. I told you the word dwell means a permanent abode. It it resides and settled permanently in his son. Think of this. The, The purpose and pleasure of the triune God is this, that all fullness of saving grace would dwell in Christ alone as the God man is the mediator of the new covenant. And if you're here this morning and you're dead in trespasses and sins and you want life, you'll discover and find that Christ is that life. If you're struggling with sin, then you'll find, if you discover Christ, that Christ is also your righteousness. If you're spiritually naked before God, you'll find Christ is your clothing. He'll put that royal robe of righteousness upon you. If you're hungry, you'll discover and find that Christ is the bread of life. If you're thirsty this morning, you'll discover and find that Christ is the water of life. If you're blind and lack sight, you'll discover that Christ is the um, light of the world. If you're weary and broken, you'll find that Christ is your rest. If you're in debt, you can't pay that debt spiritually to God. Then you'll discover that Christ is our ransom. If you're helpless and weak and needy, you'll discover Christ is our strength. And what a wonderful thing it is when the psalmist said, the Lord is the strength of my life. If you're guilty and vile and and feel a depth of your sinfulness, then you can discover and find that Christ is your pardon from all sin. If you feel empty and vain uh, uh, this morning, you'll discover that Christ is our fullness. If you feel I'm a prisoner to sin and Satan, I'm a slave to this and that you can discover and find that Christ is our great deliverer you see all that fullness from God has been communicated and given to his son in the covenant of grace for the work of redemption and it's ultimately for us fullness of Christ where does it dwell it dwells in Christ exclusively it dwells in him perfectly mediatorially but it also dwells in him perpetually See, everything you and I need this morning is found in Christ, regardless of what that need is. And the fullness of that need is met in Christ. Isn't this what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians? It says this in chapter 1, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. I've tried to give you the meaning of this text. I've tried to give you the measure of the text. What the fullness is. 
where it's found, why it's there, and the way it's there. It's there permanently. But, but think also of this, the mandate of this text. You see, if all fullness dwells in Christ perfectly and mediatorially and exclusively and perpetually as the mediator, then it must dwell, as I've said, exclusively. It's in him alone. It's not in us. It's in no one else. It's nowhere else. He alone is great enough to contain all fullness. He alone is immutable enough to retain it all. He alone is suitable enough to distribute it all. And as he distributes it, he's not any bit the poorer. You see, there never was a time when there was no fullness in Christ. All fullness has always been in Christ. So it's not in any man. It's not in Adam. It's not in Moses. It's not in any prophet. It's not in any church. Those that teach in Roman Catholicism that there's no salvation outside the Roman Catholic Church, they're fundamentally wrong because it's not found in the church, it's found in Christ. It's not, not in any angel. And remember in Colossae they were saying we can mediate with God through angels or God mediates with us through angels. It's not found in a religious system. It's not found in a code of ethics or a preacher. No, all fullness is found in Christ. Therefore, all you need is Christ. You see, someone has rightly said, Christ plus nothing equals everything. Christ plus anything equals nothing. Because once you add to Christ, you're destroying the gospel and you're undermining his person and work. This was an exclusive fullness that's in Christ. It applies to his work on the cross when he died and shed his precious blood. Exclusive fullness in relation to his word because he only spoke the word of truth and light. Exclusive fullness when you think of his worth, his offices of prophet to teach and tell us the way of salvation. As priest to make atonement for us and make intercession for us. And as king to subdue his and all our enemies. It, it, all fullness is in him perfectly in relation to these offices. If you think of the word exclusive as I finish this morning. Suppose you ladies saw it advertised in television or on the radio. You heard it or read it in the newspaper. That there's a particular style of coat. Or a particular handbag that you wanted. And there was only one shop in the whole of the United Kingdom that you could get it. Well, suppose that shop was Harrods. That's probably the biggest and the best that I could think of in Knightsbridge in London. So let's say you wanted that coat. Let's say you wanted that handbag. You desired it. You thought about it. You thought about nothing else. You, you had the money to go and buy it. You couldn't get it online. You had to go in person to the store. You see, that's the thought that I'm thinking about this morning. That's, that's how exclusive all fullness is. If you wanted that coat in that handbag, you would have to go in person or send a representative to buy it in that store from that sales assistant. 
So I know that's a, a daft illustration in a sense, but it's the only one I could think about to, to bring home the exclusiveness. This is the mandate here. And this is what Paul is getting at to bring us to the cross. All saving grace, all saving power in all its fullness has been a communicative fullness by the Father to the Son for this work of redemption. So this fullness is infinite. This fullness is acceptable. It is perpetual. This fullness is freely available for every sinner who comes exclusively to Christ. The hymn writer said it was down at the feet of Jesus. Oh, the happy, happy day. And what did he do? He confessed his sin there. He owned up to his sinnership and he asked Christ to be his Lord and be his Savior. And I wonder, have you ever done that? Have you brought your guilt and your fear and your burden to the feet of Christ and cried out, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. If it exclusively is found in him and you have a need, then you can't bypass him because you'll never receive anything apart from knowing Christ as Lord and Savior. I'm going to leave it there today. We'll look again at this at verse 20 as we open up that verse. But I trust that what I've shared will be a help and an insight into opening up this particular uh, very sublime verse in the Bible.